Hey, Mike Baker here. Well, spring is in full swing, and for millions of folks, that means yard work and gardening, am I right? Now, here's a pro tip for those of you looking to spruce up your landscaping. Fast Growing Trees is the largest online nursery in the U.S. They've got over 10,000 plant varieties and millions of satisfied customers. Save yourself the time and trouble of multiple trips to those crowded nurseries. You know what I'm talking about. Fast Growing Trees is a complete time saver. From fruit trees to houseplants, they have it all, and it's delivered right to your doorstep. Plus, their plant experts are always available for advice. They can tell you what grows best in your area, how to plant, when to plant. It's like having your own expert gardener. And here's the best part. This spring, they have up to half off on select plants. And listeners to the President's Daily Brief can get an extra 15% off by using promo code PDB at checkout. So go to fastgrowingtrees.com and use promo code PDB at checkout. This podcast is sponsored by Blackout Coffee. Kickstart your day with a great cup of American-made Blackout Coffee. Family-owned, premium coffee, fresh roasted, and shipped out within 48 hours of roasting. Go to blackoutcoffee.com, promo code PDB, for 20% off your first purchase. It's Wednesday, 24 January. Welcome to the President's Daily Brief. I'm Mike Baker, your eyes and ears on the world stage. Let's get briefed. First up, we turn our attention to the Far East, where analysts are increasingly concerned that North Korea's Kim Jong-un has already set his nation on a path to war with the South. Later on in the program, the U.S. finally runs out of funds for Ukraine as it urges European allies to keep up their support of the embattled nation. Plus, an update on NATO's expansion as the final holdouts appear ready to clear the way for Sweden to join the military alliance. And finally, in today's Back of the Brief, we'll return to Harvard University, where a professor with a history of anti-Israel rhetoric has been chosen to lead the school's task force to combat anti-Semitism. Yep, that seems about right. But first up, the PDB Spotlight. In today's Spotlight, I wanted to shift our focus from the Middle East to the Korean Peninsula. While the world's attention has been largely focused on the chaos in Gaza and the surrounding region, a series of recent events in North Korea have some analysts on edge, and they're suggesting that Kim Jong-un may already have decided to bring his nation to war with South Korea. I want to share a brief passage from a recent analysis by Robert Carlin and Siegfried Hecker that's causing a lot of this stir. It was published in 38 North, that's a U.S.-based publication that specializes in North Korean affairs. The pair write, quote, The situation on the Korean Peninsula is more dangerous than it has been at any time since early June 1950. Now, that may sound overly dramatic, but we believe that, like his grandfather in 1950, Kim Jong-un, has made a strategic decision to go to war. We do not know when or how Kim plans to pull the trigger, but the danger is already far beyond the routine warnings in Washington, Seoul, and Tokyo about Pyongyang's provocations. In other words, they continue to write, we do not see the war preparation themes in North Korean media appearing since the beginning of last year as typical bluster from the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. And, end quote. 
Their alarm is not just based on the North's usual threats and rhetoric. It stems from a stark change in posture, both diplomatically and militarily. The starkest change is North Korea's recent announcement that it would no longer pursue reconciliation with the South, and that's a major shift from a policy held since its inception. The country's constitution now labels South Korea as its, quote, primary foe and principal enemy. Adding to this tension, satellite imagery shows the demolition of the so-called reunification arch in Pyongyang. That's a symbol of hope for reconciliation with the South. That destruction was on orders from Kim Jong-un. This is not just a symbolic act. It marks a significant change in North Korea's approach to its neighbor. Furthermore, North Korea has escalated its military provocations. On New Year's Day, state media reported Kim Jong-un's vow to annihilate South Korea if provoked. This was followed by artillery fire near the disputed sea boundary and the testing of a solid-fuel intermediate-range missile with a hypersonic warhead, along with, supposedly, nuclear-capable underwater attack drones. These actions directly challenge United Nations Security Council resolutions. And, of course, as discussed here on the PDB, During the latter part of 2023, North Korea launched its first spy satellite and solid-fuel intercontinental ballistic missile. Additionally, the growing relationship between North Korea and Russia raises further concerns. North Korea has emerged as a significant arms supplier to Russia, receiving advanced technology in return. During a recent visit by North Korea's foreign minister to Moscow, Russia emphasized the importance of its partnership with North Korea including in, quote, sensitive areas. So the question remains, is North Korea shifting to a war footing, or is this simply more of the same posturing that we have seen in the past? The alliance with Russia and the resulting increase in tech transfer on the military side, well, that's particularly alarming. It's allowing North Korea to speed up its development and sophistication of the country's missile and weapons industries. All right, after the break, The Pentagon runs out of funding for Ukraine as Defense Secretary Austin urges European allies to keep up their support. Plus, NATO is one step closer to gaining a new member as one of the largest hurdles to Sweden's ascension to the alliance is cleared by the Turkish parliament. I'll be right back. Hey, Mike Baker here. Well, we made it through winter. Look at that. And spring, well, it's in full bloom, which of course means summer is just around the corner. You see how I figured that out? And that means more time spent outdoors. Not to mention, you got to get into summer shape, huh? Factor can help you spend less time in the kitchen and make sure you're eating well and meeting your wellness goals. Factor's no prep, no mess meals save time and help with getting and keeping you in great shape for summer, thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Seriously, it's going to be beach time soon. What are you waiting for? With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you keep kitchen time to a minimum. Factor meals are ready in two minutes. No shopping, no prepping, no cooking or cleaning up. Factor is part of our meal routine at the Baker Compound. And I can tell you, food is delicious, and it's a complete time saver. Head to factormeals.com slash pdb50, that's five zero, and use code pdb50 
to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code PDB50 at Factormeals.com slash PDB50. You get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Welcome back. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin made his first appearance on Tuesday since his two-week hospitalization for prostate cancer to make a plea for more aid to Ukraine. At the virtual monthly defense meeting, Austin praised Ukraine's efforts to repel Russian forces since the Putin regime launched their war on Ukraine, but warned that their future hung in the balance without greater assistance from the West, according to a report from Politico. The U.S. has been the leading financial and military backer of Ukraine since the war broke out. However, American funds officially dried up at the end of December 2023, and Congress remains deadlocked on approving fresh aid. The last allocation for Ukraine was a roughly $250 million package that was sent on December 27th, and that included uh, 155 millimeter rounds and Stinger anti-aircraft missiles. With the fate of a future aid package uncertain, Secretary Austin is attempting to convince some 50 countries to continue sending ammunition and missiles to Ukraine, warning that any lapse in aid risks giving Putin the edge in the war. Austin said Tuesday, quote, let's be clear, our support for Ukraine's struggle against tyranny makes all of our countries more secure. If we lose our nerve, if we flinch, if we fail to deter other would-be aggressors, we will only invite even more bloodshed and more chaos. So a sovereign and secure Ukraine is critical to global security, and we must not waver in our support for Ukraine, end quote. Deputy Pentagon Press Secretary Sabrina Singh said Tuesday's meeting was about nailing down commitments that address Ukraine's longer-term needs, particularly now that leaders in Kyiv must rely solely on aid from U.S. partners. Austin thanked allies who have risen to the moment and approved security assistance packages for Ukraine to try and bridge the gap left by the U.S. These allies include Estonia, Latvia, Germany, Lithuania, the Netherlands, Sweden, Norway, and, and the United Kingdom. Lawmakers in a fractured Congress in the U.S. remain divided on how to proceed regarding funding for both Ukraine and for Israel in their fight against Hamas. More than $110 billion in proposed aid for both countries, along with some for Taiwan, is currently stuck in Congress. The proposed aid package earmarks roughly $60 billion for Ukraine. The sticking point between the two parties remains border security, with the Republican majority in the U.S. House of Representatives demanding that the Biden administration take meaningful action to address the spiraling border crisis before any more aid is sent overseas. Austin, who did not acknowledge his health scare and the subsequent fallout during his remarks, said he looks forward to returning to the Pentagon in person very soon. Now, I've probably used the word dysfunctional too many times here on the PDB when describing congressional and Senate activity or, or inactivity on Capitol Hill. But I really don't know how else to describe the current stalemate between the two parties in the White House when it comes to the issues of border security and aid packages for Ukraine and Israel. You wouldn't think that normal people could figure out a way to link those two, but the politicians have done it. Just a couple of basic points here. You can't have a secure nation. You can't protect your citizens and maintain national security without secure borders. It's just not possible. 
So you would think that would be a priority issue for the White House and both parties. And on the issue of Ukraine, without continued military support from the West, Ukraine will eventually lose. One-on-one, they are not winning a war of attrition against Russia. All right, shifting our focus to NATO. After nearly two years of opposition to Sweden's bid, the Turkish parliament voted Tuesday to approve Sweden's membership into the alliance. The vote came after the parliament's Foreign Affairs Commission approved the bid last month, and it will now be sent to Turkish President Erdogan to sign into law, according to a Bloomberg report. Fearing for their own security after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Sweden and Finland ditched their decades-long position of neutrality and applied to join NATO in May of 2022. While Finland was formally accepted into NATO in April of 2023, Sweden faced significant opposition from Turkey, as well as Hungary. Turkey had insisted that Sweden do more to combat the activities of separatist groups banned in Turkey, such as the Kurdistan Workers' Party. While they maintained that they were in compliance with NATO's membership criteria, Sweden did agree to work with their Turkish counterparts to address any ongoing security concerns, to strengthen their own terrorism laws, and to lift certain arms export restrictions on Turkey. Turkey's acceptance of Sweden was also contingent on the U.S. approving the sale of F-16 fighter jets from Lockheed Martin, which the Turkish government has long sought to modernize their air force. Although nothing is final, the U.S. government is expected to move forward on the issue once they have confirmation that Turkey has signed off on the documents related to Sweden's NATO bid. With Turkey on board, that leaves Hungary as the final roadblock to Sweden joining NATO. Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban has been a holdout despite saying his government, in principle, supports Sweden's admission into NATO. Hungary has never presented any conditions to leaders in Stockholm regarding what they could do to accelerate Hungary's acceptance of their bid. Orban, however, has suggested that rhetoric from Swedish lawmakers criticizing his government's erosion of democratic norms, which he calls blatant lies, has made Hungarian lawmakers uneasy. Despite these vague criticisms, it appears that Orban is finally willing to put the issue to rest. On Tuesday, he sent a letter to his Swedish counterpart, Ulf Christensen, inviting him to Budapest to discuss NATO membership. In the letter, Orban reportedly said that a more intensive political dialogue could help in reinforcing the mutual trust between the two countries. Swedish Foreign Minister Tobias Bilstrom did not indicate whether or not Sweden would accept the invitation saying that while Sweden has no reason to negotiate with Hungary regarding NATO membership, the central thing for us, it said, is to continue to have a good and constructive dialogue with Budapest. If approved, Sweden would become the 32nd member of the NATO alliance. All right, coming up in the back of the brief, Harvard University is once again under fire. We'll look at the recent uproar surrounding its presidential task force on combating anti-Semitism and the interim president's strange choice of an anti-Israel professor to lead the group. I'll be right back. 
Who is there for the families left behind when a service member or first responder dies or is catastrophically injured in the line of duty? Who is helping our nation's homeless veterans? And who is helping our nation keep its vow to never forget 9-11? I'll tell you who. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation. The foundations in the line of duty programs honor our nation's heroes and their families. That includes its Gold Star, Fallen First Responder, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran programs. The foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America. Over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year, dozens of golf outings and barbecues, and the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute is helping to educate kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day, 9-11. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. This charity keeps its word and honors our nation's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number 2, T.org. Hey, Mike Baker here. Well, once again, Pure Talk is investing in their customers out of their own pocket without charging an extra penny. Now, you've heard me talk about Pure Talk before, right? How they provide excellent coverage and service with industry-beating rates. And now, I'm happy to announce that Pure Talk is also providing international roaming to over 50 countries. That's right. As you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless provider has you covered at home and abroad. PureTalk already puts you on America's most dependable 5G network, but now they're giving you coverage in over 50 countries as well. Unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data for just $20 a month. Look, that's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. Bring your phone, and PureTalk's eSIM technology makes switching so simple. Or you can get great savings on the latest iPhones and Androids. Make the switch to the cell phone company that I know will provide you with outstanding service and value, Pure Talk. Just go to puretalk.com slash baker, that's B-A-K-E-R, just like you imagined, to start saving today. And when you do, you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, visit puretalk.com slash baker to start saving on wireless at home and abroad. In today's Back of the Brief, let's dip back into the ongoing controversy at Harvard University. I mean, it's, it's always nice to know what kind of mischief the academic elites are getting up to. If you'll remember, back in early December, now former Harvard president Claudine Gay, along with the presidents of the University of Pennsylvania and MIT, refused to say that calling for the genocide of Jews constituted hate speech. Gay ultimately resigned from her position earlier this month after plagiarism allegations surfaced, because apparently... Arguing that calling for the genocide of Jews didn't necessarily meet the school's definition of bullying, well, that that wasn't a reason enough to step down. Now, one of the steps Harvard is taking to clean up this mess is the launch of a so-called presidential task force on combating anti-Semitism. That sounds extra grand. Interim President Alan Garber, in a press release, stated that the task force's mandate is to scrutinize the recent history of anti-Semitism on campus, uncover its root causes, and propose measures to mitigate its impact on Harvard University. Well, here's a thought. Rather than the progressives' constant default position of looking for root causes of a problem, how about you just have consequences for bad behavior and rule-breaking? Anyway, the university's choice of leadership for this task force is actually sparking fresh controversy. Co-chairing the group is a professor by the name of Derek Penslar, a renowned scholar in Jewish history. Penslar's past positions and comments, particularly regarding Israel, have raised eyebrows. 
Notably, he was one of over 2,900 signatories of a letter last year labeling Israel as an apartheid state intent on denying Palestinians equal rights and cleansing its territories of Palestinian inhabitants. Penslar also published a book last year entitled Zionism, an Emotional State, and in it he asserts that Israel's displacement of Palestinians and the ongoing oppression of those remaining have, quote, made it one of the most disliked countries on the planet. Now, I have no doubt that Penslar's writings and stated positions against Israel, they make him a beloved figure on campus among those currently protesting Israel's response to the 7 October Hamas slaughter. This appointment has not only drawn criticism from various quarters, but also from Harvard's own, including the school's former president, former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers. Summers, in a post on X, accused Penslar of downplaying Harvard's anti-Semitism issue, challenging the U.S. government's definition of anti-Semitism, and describing Israel as an apartheid state. Summers added that while he doesn't believe Penslar is an anti-Semite himself, he's, quote, lost confidence in the ability of Harvard leadership to maintain Harvard as a place where Jews and Israelis can flourish, end quote. And that, my friends, is the President's Daily Brief for Wednesday, 24 January. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to me at pdb at thefirsttv.com. I'm Mike Baker, and I'll be back later today with the PDB Afternoon Bulletin. Until then, stay informed, stay safe, stay cool. What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are, and it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith.